Okay, guys, if you have your Bibles, let's, let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 34. This will be our, uh, really our, our uh, uh, last uh, sort of week, and this is, we're finishing up what it means to, to fear the Lord, and we'll begin to, to backtrack uh, more into uh, fighting well and being delivered from evil, uh, and then how that is going to you know, sort of finish up our look at the things that, that we should be praying for, the things that the Lord asks us to pray for. Uh, and so today, uh, we're going to be looking at how those who fear the Lord are going to love their neighbor, okay? That those who fear the Lord, one of the fruits of that fear is that they will love their neighbor. So let's uh, stand in the honor of reading the Word of our God, and we'll read here this passage in Psalm 34 uh, that has been uh, the leaping point for the various fruits that we should expect to see if we truly fear the Lord. Uh, Psalm 34 Beginning in verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All right. You may be seated. So, so those who fear the Lord, uh, we, we've seen they, de- they depart from evil. We, we, we've looked at that. They hear, you see in this passage, they keep their tongue uh, from evil. They keep their lips from speaking, seeking, uh, speaking deceit. They do good. They seek peace and pursue it. So, so it's interesting when the, the focus in the doing good in this passage isn't like we've been looking at the very, the, the vast number of verses that talk about those who fear the Lord. One of the fruits of genuine fear of the Lord, not just saying you have a fear of the Lord, but a genuine fear of the Lord, uh, a barometer to test your actual fear of the Lord is whether or not you obey. And there's plenty of verses. And we've looked at a lot of those verses that talk about how if you fear the Lord, if you truly fear Him, you will, you will obey Him. But here, it's interesting, in this passage, the focus here isn't on the, the fruit being an obedience to God's commands. It's a focus on how we treat others. Uh, it, this would be like the, the second table of, of the, the Ten Commandments, where the Ten Commandments sort of shifts from how you treat the Lord to then focus on how you treat other people. And so it's no surprise that fearing the Lord isn't just about how you treat the Lord, that a fruit of the fear of the Lord will also be seen in how you treat others, that you will treat others a certain way. You will treat your neighbor a certain way. Uh, in other words, fearing God is not just about how you treat God. Uh, at least not, not directly. Part of the fruit of the fear of the Lord is how you treat other people. So here we see that the good we do in Psalm 34, what's the good that we do? It revolves around how we treat others. In this case, seeking peace and pursuing it. So let's use this as our first jump off point for the fruit that we'll see. So this, overall, we're going to see that those who fear the Lord uh, love their neighbor. Well, let's look at the specifics of, of what does that mean? What specifically do we see ways that those who fear the Lord, how will they be loving their neighbor? And let's begin by stealing from this passage right here in Psalm 34, that those who fear the Lord will pursue peace with their neighbor, that those who uh, fear the Lord will love their neighbor by pursuing peace with their neighbor. One of the fruits we'll see in the fear of the Lord is this pursuit of of peace, like Jesus says uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, that his followers, his disciples will be peacemakers. And if we look back at 
Psalm 34, that's exactly what we see. Depart from evil, do good, and then what is the doing good that they do? They seek peace and pursue it. So the the positive action in, in Psalm 34, the positive fruit of those who fear the Lord is you will be someone who pursues peace. Someone who seeks it, someone who goes after that. That word pursue there is the same word. Uh, it's the same word to describe like Pharaoh when he was coming after the Israelites, when he was pursuing them uh, as, as they were leaving uh, Egypt. It's also, it's also interesting, the word for persecution. If someone is being persecuted, this is the word uh, that you would use. It is to go after something, to go after someone. It is to hunt something down. So those who fear the Lord, peace isn't just something we want. Peace is something that we pursue. It's something that we hunt for. For for those who fear the Lord, we are like predators for peace. We seek after it. We, We hunt it down. We pursue it. We chase peace until we get it. Those who fear the Lord, we are not peacekeepers. We are peacemakers. And it's not shocking that the Bible is then filled. If that's true, that those who fear the Lord pursue peace, they go after it. They don't just go, oh, I wish we had peace. They actually pursue it. They hunt it down to get it. It's not shocking then that when the Bible Bible is then filled with calls for believers to pursue peace, especially amongst the brotherhood. So, for example, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, strive for peace with everyone. Right in line with Psalm 34. What should be believers be doing? Striving for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So it's interesting. There you see the two fruits that we've looked at of doing good. Two, those two fruits in, in, the same, in the same place. Holiness, which would be obeying the Lord. And, and then loving your neighbor, which here is striving for peace. So strive for that peace. That a believer, believers, we're called to, to go after, not, not, just, not just want peace, not just wish for peace, but strive for it. Not just go, oh, I wish there was peace, oh, but there's not. Again, you're not, just, you're not just striving to be a peacekeeper. Christians are called to be peacemakers. Romans 14, verse 19. We're going to see the same thing. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Here again, peace is something pursued by the Christian. Someone who has the fear of the Lord. Remember, the fear of the Lord is to have faith in the Lord because you're amazed by His glory and His holiness. That's what it means to fear the Lord. And that's to be a believer. And so Christians here are called to pursue, pursue what makes for peace. Not only do we want peace, not only we want there being no conflict, we, just, we don't just want their, we don't just want not to fight. Not only do we want, want that, we want to encourage one another. So we, we, we pursue what makes for peace and also pursue what makes for mutual upbuilding. So Paul says, do what you need to do to keep the peace. But in that, do what you need to do to build up others in that pursuit of peace. So that's what the Christians are are pursuing. They're pursuing what makes for peace. They're pursuing what makes for mutual upbuilding. And notice it is mutual. We live in a world that says the upbuilding is just you totally like, you know, it's all all for them. Like the, the, the pursuit of peace that you're doing is to build up both of you. It is a mutual upbuilding. 
It is a good for both to pursue peace. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, 16 through 21. A good long passage here. Listen to it. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For as it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with Good. So here, here in, in, in Romans 12, he said Christians, Christians are to strive for harmony. Not being prideful or wise in their own eyes. And if you are prideful or wise, it is normally hard to be at harmony with other people. But what do you do when someone isn't striving for harmony? What about when others do evil to us? So you and I, we're to strive for harmony. We're not to be prideful. We're not to be wise in our own eyes. We're trying to seek that harmonious nature. But sometimes it's the other side that doesn't want peace. What do we do then? What about when others do evil to us? It's in that context that, that Paul then says, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably. You can't make them be peaceable. You can't make them pursue peace, but you can pursue peace. You can still be peaceable. So it's this idea of, of, of differentiation, right? They, they, can, they can be jerks, but that doesn't change how you treat them. You can still pursue peace. You don't have to go, oh, well, they're being, they're being unkind to me or they're being evil to me, so I get to be evil back, right? Uh, or, oh, I was trying to pursue peace, but they don't want peace, so I don't have to pursue peace now. No, you still, you still, as much as it depends on you, you're still striving for peace. Now, you can't change them, but it doesn't change the command that God has put on you, which is to pursue peace, to strive to live in, in harmony. And so he warns, what are we tempted to do when people do evil to us? We're tempted to avenge ourselves. And so he warns us, don't avenge yourselves, but instead, trust God to avenge you. He's promised that he will. So instead, what do you do? You feed your enemy. You give him something to drink. And Paul tells us that's really how you beat him. That's the good news. He's like, don't worry. Don't just try to beat the, beat the one who's doing evil against you. Feed them, give them something to drink. And he's like, and that's how you heap burning coals on their head. <laughs> that's, how, that's how you actually use this doing good uh, to overcome evil. When, when you overcome evil with good. So those who fear the Lord, they are pursuing peace And as a result of pursuing peace, they're not going to respond to evil with more evil because they're not seeking evil. That's not going to bring the outcome that they want. It's like, you know, Christ warns us uh, about that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It never will. And so if your desire is for righteousness and peace and justice, then you're never going to you're never going to pursue evil because that's not what you want. What you want is what you want is the kingdom. What you want is peace. What you want is harmony. And so you're going to pursue those things. No matter what they do, no matter what they're pursuing, you don't get to get out of pursuing peace because the other people aren't pursuing peace. As much as it is up to you, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Or what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 through 25. So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. So in other words, that's what everyone who's calling on the Lord from a pure heart, that's what they're pursuing. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. I mean, this might be talking to to Timothy here as as an evangelist. But again, I think this is is good for for all Christians. Again, the, the Christian will be one who departs from sin. In this case, he says your youthful passions. There'll be someone who departs from sin and does good, which here, like in Psalm 34, involves pursuing peace, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So the, the person who, who, who has faith in the Lord, who fears the Lord God, what are they going to do? They're going to depart from evil, they're going to depart from their youthful passions, and they're going to pursue the good. Righteousness, faith, love, peace, that's what they're going to pursue. Those who fear the Lord pursue those things. They go after them. They pursue righteousness, they pursue faith, they pursue love, they pursue peace. This is what all those, he says, who call on the name of the Lord pursue. And what does that look like? Well, that's what he says. It's not being someone who always wants to get into arguments. What does it look like to pursue peace? Like, this is what you're pursuing. This is what you're going after. And then the very next verse is, so have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant controversies. So what does it mean to pursue? It's being someone who isn't always wanting to, to get into arguments, getting into foolish things that are going to breed quarrels. He says, the Lord's, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. And that doesn't mean that, that again, just evangelists must not be quarrelsome. You're like, oh, well, that's just, that's just evangelists or, 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 you know, pastors or whomever. No, the, the, the servants of the Lord, who, whom we would all say that we are, we are not to be quarrelsome people. We're to be people who pursue peace. Psalm 34 doesn't just say, you know, seek peace and pursue it, you know, if you're a pastor. You know, seek peace and pursue it if you're a missionary. Seek peace and pursue it if you're, you know, this type of person. This, this is what all believers do. So we're not trying to always get into arguments. We're not trying to always get into fights. We're seeking peace. We're pursuing it. We, we are not quarrelsome. We're not pursuing uh, uh, you know, to, to be correct. Uh, instead, we're, we're pursuing peace. We are kind. So we say we're kind. We teach, and we teach rather than demand. We endure evil and we endure it with patience. And when we do correct, which is still something that you can do, you can still correct people and pursue peace. In fact, we're going to see that you must correct people in order to pursue peace. Peace is not abdication from the argument. Peace is just not initiation of the argument necessarily. We pursue, we pursue it, but we, we, there will be times we have to correct. But when we do correct, we correct what? With gentleness. Even here it says, even correcting your opponents with gentleness. Why? Now, why do we do that? Because, again, we're not pursuing to be right. Because we're already right. right? We're not trying to be right. We're already right. We know it and God knows it. What benefit will come by get, getting their witness as well? If you know you're doing right, keep doing right. Keep doing the good. You don't have to have them going, okay, I now believe you, in order for you to have some sort of verification of rightness. 
We're not pursuing being right. We're, we're pursuing peace. And that affects how you handle it. That affects how you handle uh, even topics that don't breed peace. But that people bring up because they have an intention of bringing discord. Don't be someone who does that. Seek peace. Pursue it. Often people pursue peace because they fear the people they've been in conflict with. That's normally why people pursue peace. Or it tends to be. The people want peace because they don't like conflict with other people. But that's not why we pursue peace. We're not pursuing peace because I'm just not comfortable with conflict. Look, I'm very comfortable with conflict. Uh, But I I don't pursue peace. Uh, I pursue peace not because I'm either comfortable or, or uncomfortable with conflict. We don't pursue peace because we fear the person that we're talking to. We pursue peace because we fear the Lord. And the Lord says that those who fear Him do good. And part of that doing good is that they seek peace and they pursue it. We pursue peace not because we fear them but because we fear the Lord. But, but seeking peace, pursuing peace, isn't the only fruit that you're going to see in your love toward your neighbor. So, so there's going to be this uh, love toward God that is going to be in obedience to Him, obeying His commandments. If you truly fear the Lord, that's what's going to happen. There's also going to be this fruit of loving your neighbor that is going to be seeking peace with them, being a peacemaker rather than being someone who's quarrelsome and always trying to start things, one who likes sowing discord uh, among the brothers like, and, and, and sort of getting off on that. That's not what the believer should be like. Uh, instead, we should seek peace and pursue it, but that's not the only thing. That's, that's not the only thing the Bible is going to call, call us to. There's going to be a couple of other fruits that are born out of this fear of the Lord, but fruits that are going to revolve around this idea of loving our neighbor. So, so why is it that we pursue peace? Why is peace a fruit born from a fear of the Lord? How is fear of the Lord going to affect me wanting peace with these people? For they are not the Lord. So what is the connection between a fear of the Lord and a seeking peace with those who are in many cases very much not the Lord and might be the exact opposite uh, of the Lord? Why would we pursue peace uh, with them? Because of who our neighbors are, ontologically, fundamentally, who they are and how we see them in light of who they are. Those who fear the Lord, treat, they love their neighbors by treating their neighbors as precious. They treat their neighbors as precious. And I'm not talking about it like a precious moment's Sort of, oh, you're so precious. Uh, I'm talking about seeing them as valuable, seeing their worth. Much of the fearing of the Lord is then going to describe the way that we treat people. Which is going to be an interesting connection because you fear the Lord, it's going to affect how you treat people who are very much not the Lord. So how are the two uh, connected? Well, they're connected because these people, who are they image bearers of? The Lord. Whose image are they bearing? The Lord. Who made them? The Lord. And these people bear His image. To dishonor them, these image bearers of the Lord, to see them as worthless is then to dishonor the one who made them. That's why Peter says what he does when he attaches the fear of the Lord with the honoring of people in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 17. 
says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So if you remember back to our, our first Peter sermons, or maybe you might even still have notes in your, in your Bible uh, uh, about this and not exactly be sure why. But the words there translated honor, we retranslated uh, because that's what we like to do. Uh, we retranslated them from honor to precious. And the reason we did that is because that's how, for example, the ESV translated that word over and over in this. But the reason we did that is to remind us that this is tied back to in 1 Peter uh, 1, where it uses the word to talk about the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So it's the same word there. So, so it's talking about the precious blood of Christ. The same word is now used to say, do this, treat everyone like this, like that precious blood that I just talked about. It's, it's actually the same word used in one seven too. The genuineness of our faith, which is more precious than gold. Same word, same word. And so we've got that idea repeating. So then, uh, side note for kids, uh, and for all, this might help you understand uh, what the command is to honor your parents and how you do that, because it's the same word used uh, when they translate honor your parents in the New Testament. It's to uh, treat them as uh, treat them as precious. So if you want to know, ooh, how do I honor my parents? Great way to start: treat them as precious. And we can, man, we could go down a rabbit hole for that. But anyway, so so here we've got a, a list of things for believers to do. A list of things here in First Peter two. A list that includes fearing God. And part of that list revolves around treating people as precious image bearers of the Lord. So fear God. We've talked about fear the Lord. But if you fear the Lord, you are going to treat everyone as precious. Everyone. Treat the emperor. And if you remember, Peter's writing this about the emperor that is going to be the one that, that puts him to death. So Peter tells us that we're to treat everyone as precious that, and to especially love the brotherhood. If we fear the Lord, then we will not take lightly his image bearers, any of them, any human being that you see, any man, don't like to use the word human being, let's use the word the Bible uses, any man that you see, any man is worthy of of being seen as precious because they are image bearers of the Lord. And if you fear the Lord, you can't look at those who bear his image as worthless, as nothing. You will see them as precious. You will see everyone as precious. Preciousify everyone, right? Uh, Which just doesn't make sense in the English. Uh, Treat them as precious. See them as precious. Everyone, even the, the emperor, the persecutions he was bringing, even him. Treat as precious. We will see all people as his image bearers. None of them worthless. All of them precious. If we fear the Lord from the king on down, everyone with a worth that is attached to the God who made them and the image of himself that he stamped on them. So someone who is amazed by God's glory and God's holiness, like we saw with the fear of the Lord, someone who is amazed by who God is, will treat as precious Everyone made in his image. And so Peter can say this in in the midst of persecution that's going on and is going to erupt and say, treat everyone as precious. And there'd be plenty of people that Peter could have pointed to and said, even this guy, you know, even, you know, let's, let's take tradition, hanging upside down, right? Before he dies. And they're like, even that guy? He's like, yeah, even that guy. 
Even the guy who, who wrote the edict to do this to you, yeah, treat that guy as precious. Because they're all image bearers of the Lord. And if you fear the Lord, you will see in every person uh, inherent uh, preciousness, more precious than uh, gold, for it bears the image uh, not of man, but of God. And so it's not surprising. In a passage that talks about fearing the Lord, you see loving your neighbor as a fruit of fearing the Lord, treating them as uh, precious. So here we see this, the positive command, the positive fruit. Those who fear the Lord seek peace with others. They love their neighbor. They seek peace with their neighbor. They, they treat their neighbor as precious. So there's all these things like if you fear the Lord, here's what you'll see. You're going to, you're going to love your neighbor. You're going to pursue peace with your neighbor. Uh, You're going to treat your neighbor as precious because this is an image bearer of God who you think is awesome. And this is an image bearer that he has made, that he knit and crafted in their mother's womb. It's not just you and Jeremiah that get to say that. Like, like that's what, that's what the Lord has done to them. There's just an inherent value there and that's going to affect how you treat them. Even your enemies, even those who might uh, martyr you. So those are the, a lot of the positive commands. But there's also warnings. In other words, things that the Bible says, those who fear the Lord will not be doing these things to their neighbors. So we've had the positive fruit, but the Bible also warns us about a poison fruit. A poison fruit that will not grow if your life is on the true vine. That if you truly fear the Lord, it says, this is a fruit you will not see. So if you fear the Lord, here's the fruit you will see. If you see this fruit... That's a sign that you're not abiding on the vine. It's a sign that you're not fearing the Lord. Because if you fear the Lord, this should not grow. So as you're looking at your life, if you see, it's going to tell you, if you see these fruits, then something is wrong, not just in how you treat others, something is wrong with your fear of the Lord. And so don't just fix this. Recognize you've got to fix this. You've got to fix your relationship with the Lord, that that's the ultimate root of it that is leading to this poison fruit. So what sort of poison fruit does the Lord warn us about? How, what things you need to be worried about, about how you treat others that might show that something is wrong with your fear of the Lord. The first one we're going to see is that those who fear the Lord do not wrong their neighbor. They do not do wrong to their neighbor. Now this might, this might seem like you know, elementary school stuff. Uh, those who fear the Lord, they're not evil people, right? Uh, they're not evil to the people around them. Oh, I had not considered that as an option. Uh, but this is something that the Lord warns us about. So it's something we should look at. Leviticus 25, 17. Where you see that, that wronging your neighbor is like the opposite of fearing the Lord. Leviticus 25, 17. You shall not wrong one another. But you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. So so here we see, what you do with others shows whether or not you fear the Lord. So he says, don't wrong one another, fear me. In other words, wronging one another is the opposite of fearing him. If you're wronging one another, then you're not fearing the Lord. He doesn't say, don't wrong one another. And hey, by the way, that might show possible. No, he says, don't do that, because if you're doing that, you're not fearing me. Instead, Fear me, because if you fear me, that's not what you'll be doing. 
Again, it's not just what you do with, with God that shows you fear the Lord, but what you do with his image bearers. And if you have a, 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 a friend who's in, in need or, or you withhold kindness from them or, or whatever, as we're going to see, then you're not someone who's fearing the Lord. And again, this is a pretty big deal in God's eyes. A pretty big deal. And I'm going to read to you a, a passage where it talks, it talks about, like, if you mistreat people, if you mistreat uh, especially the people of God, if you mistreat uh, really any image bearer, but especially amongst the brotherhood, that's a, that's a grievous sin. You're a long way from fearing. That's a poison fruit that you should look at and go, uh, this, 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 will, this will be for the ladies. This is like black mold on your soul here. Uh, where you're like, I know everyone, is everyone still afraid of black mold? Is that still a thing or is it just Leslie? Uh, it's like, it's where you look and go, oh no, like we need to, we need to clean the house here, flip some tables and do something. If you see this fruit, look at what the Bible compares it to. Look on what level it's going to place this poison fruit with some other fruits that you would certainly go, I can't believe that any Christian would even do that. Uh, but we're going to see, this is a temptation that you must fight and you must kill if you see it. Uh, look at Malachi chapter three. The, the, the Lord's going to put this, this poison fruit of, of wronging your neighbor. He's going to put it on par with sins like sorcery, adultery, outright lying. Uh, this one, wronging your neighbor is going to be right up there with him. In fact, it's going to get more play in the verse than those others. Look at Malachi chapter three. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, and we're like, yeah, and the adulterers, yeah, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So who are those who do not fear the Lord? We've got our usual suspects, right? Our usual suspects. Oh, those people don't fear the Lord. We've got our sorcerers. A bunch of Harry Potters out there. All right, we've got our sorcerers. We've got our adulterers. We've got lying. But then we see an entire set of sins we normally don't put on the same level. But they relate to how we treat others. The Lord brings judgment on whom? Those who oppress the hired workers and what they pay them. Those who oppress the widow and the fatherless. Those who don't care about the sojourner, just shove aside the sojourner. He says, if you do those things, you do not fear the Lord. You do not fear the Lord. Of course, sorcery, adultery, lying. But he says again, oppressing the hired worker, oppressing the widow, oppressing the fatherless, thrusting aside the sojourner. You're not a real Israelite. And the importance of hospitality. Who are those who do not fear the Lord, uh, those who are not worshiping and serving him, obviously, right? They're sorcerers, adulterers, but also those who are not loving their neighbor. Those are those who do not fear the Lord. To do these things, if you're someone who's doing these things, then you're not fearing the Lord. And so the Bible gives us certain specifics where if you do this particular wrong against your neighbor, you're not fearing the Lord. Leviticus 19, 14. Now, Leviticus 19 is important because this is, this is where you first see that command uh, of you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it's an important section that the Lord's going to uh, pull from later on to make, you know, two of the greatest commandments here. Uh, but Leviticus 19, where we get this, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Down in verse 14, or I would say up in verse 14, because the love your neighbor is yourself down below it. But in, in verse 14, it says, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. To curse someone who can't hear you do it or to put a stumbling block in front of someone who can't see it uh, isn't just mean, right? It's not just cowardly. You've got an enemy that can't hear you, so you curse them in a way you wouldn't curse them if they could hear you. You've got an enemy that can't see, so you put a stumbling block in front of them. And so that's not just mean. It's to not fear the Lord. You know, those, things are, those things would be horrible things to do, but they're not just horrible. And they're not just signs that you're a jerk. They are signs of that, though. But they're ultimately a sign, uh, the Lord says here in 19, they're a sign that you don't fear Him. Not that you don't fear them. Of course you don't fear them. You, he can't hear you. Say what you want. You're not afraid of Him. can't hear you. Put a stumbling block in front of you. He won't know that you did it. Why? He can't see the stumbling block. He certainly can't see you put it there. You have no fear of Him. He says, well, you really don't fear. You don't fear me. You don't fear the Lord. And you know what? I can hear everything. And I can see everything. So those who fear the Lord, they do not wrong their neighbor. They don't do wrong to him. We've got these lists of ways that we wrong uh, our uh, neighbor. So not only do they not wrong their neighbor, uh, those who fear the Lord also don't take advantage of their neighbors in bad situations. Those who fear the Lord, they love their neighbor by not taking advantage of their neighbor when they're in a bad situation. Look at Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 15. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 15. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so. Why? Because I'm a nice guy. No? What does he say? Because of the fear of God. So Nehemiah here says, there were those who lorded it over the people, who so lorded it over people, that even the servants of those who lorded it, lorded it over the people, lorded it over the people. Even their servants were lording it over the people. The people who are coming back into the land, coming back out of exile. He said, I didn't though. I didn't. Now, why did he not? He says, because he feared the Lord. Meaning he didn't do those things because if you fear the Lord, you would not do those things. Someone who does these things, who is, who, is, who is oppressing the people like this, who's taking advantage of their bad situation, and, hey, you want back in? Here's what you got to do. That's a person who doesn't fear the Lord. Nehemiah is not doing anything special. Nehemiah, uh, he, didn't just, he didn't just read, read the law here uh, pay, or pay attention when the law was read. He read it and did it. So this is what he had heard when the law was read, when they read Leviticus 2543. There's some assumptions there that you can ask me about later. It's interesting. Uh, when they read Leviticus 2543, where it says, You shall not rule over him ruthlessly, but shall fear your God. In other words, a ruthless ruler doesn't, it's not just that they don't fear the people. A ruthless ruler 
doesn't fear the Lord. And that's a more dangerous thing. He says, someone who rules ruthlessly is someone who does not fear the Lord. And so Nehemiah is just saying, well, that's what I did. I didn't rule ruthlessly over them. I didn't lord it over them because I fear God. Uh, Leviticus 25, just a couple verses earlier in 35 through 37, uh, gives us another example. It says, but if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner. Which gets back to the obligations that we had to strangers and sojourners, which you remember from our Wednesday study in Exodus. So you got a lot of, you got a, we've already packaged that there. And he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God, that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. So you've got a Christian brother, he's in bad financial straits here. Can't take care of himself. What are you supposed to do? Well, he says you do the same thing you do. You got to treat him the same way you treat a stranger or sojourner. Which might already blow your mind. If you're reading this passage and he's like, hey, you got to treat your brother like you got to treat the strangers and sojourners. Because what does it say? Because you don't, you see here something you don't expect you to ever do for a stranger. And God here just says expectantly that that's what you would do for Treat him like a stranger. And you're like, I don't like strangers. Uh, He says, uh, treat him like a stranger or sojourner. Do the same thing you'd do for the stranger or the sojourner. And what would you do for the stranger or sojourner, does he say? He shall live with you. So so your brother's in financial straits. He's having a hard time. What do you do? You do the same thing you do for strangers. Uh, Now, again, the word stranger is going to have a whole lot more biblical context that we talked about. A stranger is going to have a whole lot more biblical context than what we, this is not just, hey, there's some dude wandering the road. Uh, well, open up the kids' room. Uh, it's, not, it's not saying that here. What's it saying? Uh, it, it's saying here that you, you, you've got this, this brother in this arrangement. What does he do? He's, he, you, uh, you come to him and he shall live with you. And in that living arrangement, which already is blowing our mind, right? He shall live with you. In that living arrangement, you don't get any profit from it. Now, why? Why does he say you don't do any of this for profit? Well, what does he say? In verse 36, he says, Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God. In other words, you don't take interest or profit because you fear the Lord. So any any money you give him, any food, this goes on into verse 37, you don't give any of those things for profit. Now, you are paid back. Right? And we'll talk about that. We would talk about this to the person who needed the help. You know, you're supposed to pay it back, but just not back at a profit. But what's the point? The point here is that caring for your brother like that and not taking advantage of his bad situation, that's part of fearing the Lord. That he says, hey, you've got your brother in this bad situation. Don't take advantage of him. Don't think, oh, I can make some money out of this. Oh, I didn't have anywhere to stay? Well, you can stay with me. <laughs> I'm thinking, man, this is really a, this could be a windfall for me, because uh, when this guy gets back on his feet, or hey, you know the 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 Sabbath year's almost here, and he's going to get you know back a whole bunch of stuff, uh, you know, then 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 it will be great, and then I can get a profit out of it. He says, if you're doing that, what are you really? It's not just that you're being rude or not loving your your neighbor. What are you ultimately not doing? He says, you're not fearing God. If you're trying to take advantage of your brother. Because they're in a bad situation. 
Uh, even doing something that might seem crazy, like letting him live with you. If you're doing that, then what you're doing is you're not fearing the Lord. So someone who fears the Lord won't be trying to advance through the difficulties of, uh, of their neighbor. Uh, next, those who fear the Lord don't hold back when they could help. So those who fear the Lord love their neighbor by not holding back when they could help their neighbor. This is in Job chapter 6. Job chapter 6, verse 14. Job chapter 6, verse 14. Job says, He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. If you withhold kindness from a friend, you're not just forsaking the friend. You're forsaking the fear of the Lord. So if you've got a friend in need, and, and, and you could help, but you don't. You're not just taking advantage of him. You know, you're going, oh, well, I just want, I won't take advantage of him. It's not just that you're not taking advantage of him. You're not helping. The standard for the believer isn't just don't take advantage. Here we see that if you could give a kindness and you don't, that that is forsaking the fear of the Lord. And we see this played out in the New Testament several places, several ways. First John 3, 17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's good, sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So if you see your Christian brother in need and you close your heart, it's not just that you don't love him, it's that you don't love God. Or how about James? James 2, which is even maybe even more poignant for our understanding of the fear of the Lord. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, right? Because you're pursuing peace. Uh, go in peace. Look at me, fearing the Lord. Uh, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, we know that faith is tied to the fear of the Lord. We know that fearing the Lord is having faith in the Lord. But, but what is the example here? The fruit of real faith for James is taking care of a brother and sister in need and not simply seeing their need and, as Job says, withholding kindness. To hold back instead of help, to withhold kindness when you can give it, to proclaim peace instead of pursuing it, for yourself and for them. It's not just to not love your neighbor. You trace that back. It's to not fear the Lord. It is to, as Job says, forsake the fear of the Almighty. Those who fear the Lord will love their neighbors. They will treat them as precious. They will seek peace with them. They will not wrong their neighbor or take advantage of their neighbor's situation. They don't hold back when they could help. If you fear the Lord, loving your neighbor will be a fruit. And what we just saw describes what that fruit will look like. Because we will all say, oh, I love my neighbor. Because we know it's the second greatest commandment. We know we're supposed to. So if I were to say, again, if I were to say, do you fear the Lord? We'd all say yes. If I were to say, do you, do you love your neighbor? We'd all say yes. And if I were to say, does, your, does love your neighbor look like this? The Lord's going to describe what that love of, love of your neighbor should look like. And if it doesn't look how he describes the fruit, then it's not the fruit that he's describing. And that should concern you. Because maybe instead of, instead of a fruit, maybe it's, maybe it's a poison fruit. Maybe it's a bitter fruit. Uh, so we must love our neighbor. We must love our neighbor the way the Lord says. That will be a fruit of those who fear the Lord. It's interesting. You look at that. You see these, these two general 
categories that we've seen, there's, they, they do good. Uh, and the good that we've seen is obeying the Lord uh, and, and loving our neighbor. You put those two things together, what we really see is the, the fruit of the fear of the Lord is the two greatest commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we've just seen. Those who fear the Lord uh, obey God because they love him. And those who fear the Lord love their neighbors. And they see God as glorious and see his image bearers as, as precious. Uh, next week, we're going to look at uh, sort of how to grow your fear of the Lord. Because maybe as we've gone through this, you've seen fruit that either isn't there or that is imperfect. And you're going, well, I know I don't fear the Lord like I should. So am I just sort of hopelessly to, to drift here? The Bible's actually going to tell us how to grow our fear of the Lord. Uh, and if you want your fear of the Lord to grow, which I assume we would all want, even if we saw that fruit, we'd want a bigger fruit, right? You don't just look and go, hey, there's a watermelon. You want a bigger watermelon. Uh, and you want to grow that fruit of the fear of the Lord. Uh, next week, we'll, we'll talk about that. But let's look at a, applying these fruits to our lives. Just quickly, some uses that we can do. Uh, to get these commands in our life. What will this look like in our life? So, so if you fear the Lord, we saw you must pursue peace with people. And again, that means you, it must not just be something that you wish would happen or that you hope happens. Peace should be something you hunt down. Now, this doesn't mean that you avoid conflict. And it doesn't mean that you waffle under pressure because you just want to keep the peace. That's not true peace. Again, we're called to be peacemakers, not just peacekeepers. Uh, a kingdom, just read the history of Israel. A kingdom is, is not at peace if the ruler just abdicates. And they go, oh, look, there's peace. Look, I've, the enemy has come and I have decided not to fight him. Uh, that kingdom is not at peace. A kingdom is not at peace. If it, and a kingdom is not at peace if it just pays tribute to keep the other side happy. Right? You got this enemy coming and, oh, I want to make peace. Here, take my money. Uh, just ask Israel how that's going to go with the Assyrians. Uh, it does not work out well. Uh, and if you just, just say something to, 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 to make the conflict stop, uh, that's not real peace. Those who fear the Lord are pursuing genuine, lasting peace. And that comes through our unity in Christ and our unity in his word. So pursue peace. So if you're pursuing peace, what's, what's that's going to be? Pursue peace by not being quarrelsome and pursue peace by not being cowardly. Both of those are temptations for us in the pursuit of peace. You either pursue peace, you can go against it by being quarrelsome and always getting in fights. That's not pursuing peace. But neither is the ditch on the other side of the road to pursue peace by just being a coward and not wanting to talk to anybody about anything and, and not wanting to get in any discussions about anything that anybody's wrong at or, or doing wrong or whatever. And they're like, I'm just not going to talk about it. And that's not pursuing peace either. If we fear the Lord, we'll want true, lasting peace with our neighbors. And we won't just want it, we'll hunt for it until we get it, which for our neighbors is going to make the next step very important, uh, which means we're going to treat, uh, we must treat our neighbors as precious. Christian, you must treat your neighbors as precious. Now, it's funny, in our world, uh, we tend to have been taught to judge everyone by how precious they make us feel. Uh, that's how we've taught people to judge relationships. That's how we've taught them to judge marriages. That's even how we've taught people to judge a church. Like, did you feel precious when you left? Uh, and, and you know, everything is about how precious did, did they make you feel? You, we, we want to be considered precious. And there are plenty of stories and, and Disney movies to try and ingrain that in our head, that you're the most special of all the special people in the world. You're the most specialists. And if all the other special people, because everyone's special, we realize how you're just the most special, then it would be a special place for everyone because it's special for you. Uh, and, and what we end up doing is we evaluate everyone 
not in light of the Lord, we evaluate everyone in light of ourselves, how they treat us, how they make us feel. And those who fear the Lord, they don't view everyone through that lens. They don't view everyone through the lens of themselves. You're precious. Why? This person is great. Why? Because they make me feel awesome. And so I, you, you're worthy of my time. Why? Because you talk about me a lot in a really good way. That's not what we do. We don't evaluate people through the lens of ourselves. We evaluate them through the lens of the Lord. And when we do that, it totally changes how you view everyone. You view literally everyone. If you view everyone as an image bearer of God and how they're treated as reciprocally going back to how God is treated, then it changes how you treat everyone from the, from, from the baby in the womb to the elderly person who can't take care of themselves, which is funny. Both of those things are considered trash by a world that thinks we're all just evolutionary dust. Uh, they're all rushing to kill as many of both sides of that coin uh, as they can. It's also going to affect how you treat your Christian brother. If everyone is an image bearer of the Lord, it's going to affect how you treat your Christian brother, but it's also going to uh, affect how you treat your, you know, depraved neighbor. We will see everyone in light of the value that comes from them as being image bearers of God. And we know that Peter was distinguishing everyone from the brotherhood because he said, treat everyone as precious, love the brotherhood. So he's making a distinction there. He's not saying when you say treat everyone as precious, we're not going, well, he just means treat all Christians as precious. Uh, he tells us in the very next thing, love the brotherhood. But treat everyone as precious because everyone is an image bearer of the Lord. And we will see in everyone the value that comes as being God's image bearers. And since uh, God's image is what is marred when they are mistreated or even when, when they are living in abject sin or when they're encouraged and praised, then it is our fear of the Lord and our treasuring of him that will drive how we treat them. You must see everyone, Christian, as a precious image bearer of, of the God that you fear. And that will, affect, that will affect how you handle every conversation. If, if you go into the conversation thinking, this person, I mean, it just let's get less secular and more uh, mythical in our understanding of the world that God has made. If you walk up to someone and you don't see them as just a random cosmic chance of dust that happened to happen when their mommy and, and, and daddy uh, fell madly in love with each other, if instead you're going to see them as this person that I'm talking to is an image bearer of God. If you see that in every conversation, one, you're going to have to work at not looking weird when you have conversations because you're going to go up going, this is, this is an image bearer of the Lord God. And I, like the God that you fear, the God that you're in awe of, the God that you're amazed by, whose glory and holiness is amazing. And this person bears their image. They were made by him. There's going to be sort of like a, 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 a glassy sort of look to your eyes for a while as you're considering this. We've grown used to it. We've grown used to everyone being an image bearer of the Lord God. It's either because our fear of the Lord God is not very high or we've just just lowered our, our understanding of them as the image bearers of the Lord God. But we'll see. Every, it'll affect every conversation, every interaction. It'll affect every action you take. It'll affect, it'll affect the movies you watch. It'll affect the, the way you vote. It, all, because, all because you will see them as they truly are. If you see people on the screen doing things on the screen that they shouldn't do, you won't just go, ah, kids probably shouldn't see that. Uh, you'll go, that's an image bearer of my God that they're 
Someone has told that image bearer to do that thing with that other person and to film it and get paid for it. And then we'll show it at our local Cineplex. Uh, and then it, it puts a whole new filter through which we view things. Everything will be affected. But it will also affect not just negatively what we see or, 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 or what we do. It will affect, again, the conversations that we have. We'll see everyone through that lens, that precious lens that sees in them the fear of the Lord. Christian, you must see everyone that way. Which means if you have a neighbor or a coworker that you are not pointing to Christ and to his kingdom, it can only be because you do not see them as precious and because you do not consider God's image in them something worth unmarring. Because if either one of those is true, either that or you don't see God as amazing. Because if you saw God as amazing, and if he's truly amazing and they're bearing his image, then how can you not point them to Christ? How can you let this image bearer of God continue to live in a way that sullies his image? If you care about the Lord, you'll say something to them. If you care about the Lord, you'll talk to them about their salvation. Just for the Lord's sake. Add on top of that the fact that the fear of the Lord is going to give you a love for your neighbor. And you're going to see them as precious. That'll even double the reason. How in the world can your neighbor be sitting there across the street or next to you or be in your own home or whatever and you not share the gospel with them? How you view people is affected by how you view your God. Fear the Lord and you will treat everyone as precious. Lastly, if you fear the Lord, you must not wrong people. You must not wrong people. Again, it might seem like this one we don't need to say, but the Lord says it to his people and he says it a lot. So it'd be foolish of us to think, oh, we're now beyond that temptation. A lot of times the Lord tells his own people. He doesn't say, hey, This is what the Gentiles are going to do. This is what the nations are going to do. He goes to his people and says, you don't do this. You do not wrong one another. You don't wrong each other. And it'd be foolish of us to think that's not going to be a temptation to us. If you fear the Lord, instead of oppressing people, you help them. If there's a kindness you can give, you do it. If you fear the Lord, you don't thrust people aside because they're not important to you, or they don't affect you, or they don't change your life. They don't add to your life. So why would I take this person in? Why would I not even just provide for this person? What do you say? Yeah, you do what you do with a stranger and sojourner. You let them live with you. It's not just you, you don't take them in. You, you, you help them. If there's a kindness you can give, you give it. You bring them in out of their broken world and into yours. But what if they break my home, right? What does he say? Do you not fear the Lord? What if they mess my life up? Because their life is so messed up. What if they mess up my home? Who's the one who built your home? Do you think it was you? Think it was you that gave you the life that you have? Do you think it was you that brought this prosperity and blessing that, that obeying the Lord might somehow mess up? You better love them. Or the fear of the Lord will bring your house down so that you might learn to fear him even more. If you fear the Lord, you don't try to take advantage of your neighbor in need. You try and be what your neighbor needs. You lend, you give, and you expect to get nothing back from it. Anytime you're helping someone Christian, we're not expecting to get anything back, any profit. Why? Because that's what our God has done for us. You were in need and had nothing to offer him. And yet he gave you his son. His son. 
If you fear the Lord, you will treat others as He has treated you. So look to His Son and see how Christ has treated you. And if you're amazed by how He has treated you, how He continues to treat you, then the fear of the Lord will grow in you a precious fruit of peace and love and good deeds that will spring from the vine of all those who fear the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come together, Lord, we recognize that fearing you is not just about how we treat you, that the fear of you will bear a fruit of how we treat your image bearers. And we, we, we will, we will uh, seek peace with them positively. That's what we do. We treat them as precious. Those are the things that will grow in our lives, the things that we'll pursue. And there will be other fruits that we will not allow to grow, that we will not see them grow. And if we see them grow, that we know that there's a, there's a problem with our fear of you, Father, and we'll, we'll nip them in the bud. We will not wrong our brothers and sisters. We will not take advantage of them when they're in bad situations. We will not refuse to help them when we could help them. Father, give us these eyes that we need to have toward others because those eyes toward others will show what our eyes are like toward you. That every interaction in this world is a picture of what we think of you. So help us to fear you and keep your commandments and help us to fear you and to love our neighbors. To seek peace and pursue it. To see them as precious when the world might tell us they are worthless. And where they might not add any worth to our life, but they will grow our fear of you. Please, Father, grow these things in us as only you can do. Father, we ask this for your glory. Show us these things, how we can do them. Show us where we failed in them. And fix our eyes on our Christ, who is demonstrating this love for us, that we might imitate it to everyone else. May we bear the image of your Son. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.